What is your life story? How often do you pause to question values, beliefs, patterns, and discover your true inner wisdom? Diving in your past story, allowing space for you, is the keystone to find your true self. New values and shift into an inner wisdom space that will allow you to live your life into a more conscious arena where you can be authentic, joyful, and help others to fulfill what they are destined to be. Be brave and discover your true beauty from within. In episode 56, Activating Your Archetypes for Your Leader Within, with Samantha Lewis. Welcome everyone to our episode number 56. And in today's episode, we have a honor guest, Samantha Luis, and we are going to talk about activating your archetypes for your leader within. And to introduce Samantha, I'm going to uh, read her bio so that we can know her better. And she is a woman that dedicates her life to empowerment and organizational culture. Currently, she's a doctoral student at Vanderbilt University Peabody College, studying leadership and learning in organizations, which complements her master's degree in educational leadership, specializing in organ organizational systems change. And she holds an instructorship in biocognitive science, as well as a diplomate in biocognitive organizational science to create experiential education and organizational transformation. With expertise in individualized curriculum design, she ensures that the approach of uh, having a curriculum or a resume is human-centered to each framework, and she develops personal growth and professional development into the framework of the resumes. So as you can see, we are going to dive deep in science <laughs> and we are going to um, also try to see the perspective of how our internal energy can create these kind of leaderships. So welcome, Samantha. It's an honor to have you here. And just let me know what is your story first. My story starts on a farm in rural Minnesota in the Midwest, okay. and I grew up um, outside all of the time with my brother and my dad and my uncles and my grandpa and my mom working on our farm. Um, my dad farmed, my mom was an educator, and eventually she moved out of being a teacher and into a school administrator. So I had these role models growing up of a really strong female, my mom just like blasting through norms and status quo of old school traditional education models, and a dad who was very passionate about caring for plants and caring for animals. So I started to pick up on these skills of learning and also passion and compassion um, <laughs> so that I started to, to build this mission and, and vision inside of myself, wondering how to make more of that in the world. How can we find the intersections of learning and the intersections of naturality or like who we are, who we are meant to be and really make learning and life experiences, life growth um, a lot more holistic and a lot more tuned into the, the need of an individual instead of the wants and needs of societal pressures or old rules from the past that no longer serve us. Okay. And um, how did you become uh, acquainted with this um, biocognitive model and on the science behind the, well, the DNA, the, mm -hmm. those epigenetic things that happen? How yeah. did you begin that journey? Well, it was... It was interesting for me stepping out of high school and into college. I was at a point in my life where um, I didn't want to do what so many people in my family had done, which was be an educator, be an educator or a farmer. 
but I got to college and I met some professors who opened my eyes to a different model of teaching. And specifically, it was health education and physical education. Okay. So I started diving deep into learning brain science as a teacher instead of just learning um, like where could I go to look for fun worksheets or where can I go to find a curriculum that someone else has already written. I started to learn about the developmental phases of a person from from birth until the end of life. Um, And I started to learn about how the brain is wired and what effects does trauma have on the brain? What effect does movement and food and culture what effect do these all have on our brain? And um, ultimately, how do we create the least restrictive learning environments for people? But also, um, how do we really start to learn about and help other people learn that once your brain is wired a certain way, it doesn't mean that that's permanent. It might be difficult to change and unlearn and relearn, but it's not permanent. We have the opportunity to change um, and the more senses that we use in the body to learn, the faster the healing or the growth or the learning process is. So through my journey as a teacher, I started to, to wonder more and more about culture because I was being taught about culture as though it was only race or ethnicity. And I started to understand culture as something bigger in each of our lives where race and ethnicity plays into it. But ultimately, culture is those unwritten rules that a collective believes in together. So rules about religion, rules about aesthetics, rules about wellness, rules about learning. (laughs) Um, So I, I was in my own spiritual development process at the time, um, going through like Kundalini yoga and learning about Reiki Um, becoming a Reiki master, and I found biocognitive science. And all of a sudden, I I found this place where it all came together, right? It was science-based, so it's neuroscience, intersected with cultural anthropology and storytelling, so narrative Mm -hmm. medicine and narrative healing. And then the third branch is psychoneuroimmunology. So how how do we look at thoughts and emotions and understand how those impact our biology for the long haul. Not just in this moment if we're stressed out, but looking down the road, how does it impact us? How does it impact the people around us based on the archetypes or the personas that we shift into? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then even for generations to come, what are we creating and what kind of a path are we paving for the people beyond us? Yeah. That's amazing. And, and yeah. it combines a lot of things and, and it resonates a lot because this book that I have behind me speaks about those um, stories that, that we suffer as childhood uh, experiences and examples and all of those things that go back into more and more and more damage that we sometimes don't perceive or we, because as you mentioned, it's a story. It's a story, it's a narrative, it's a lot of examples that will that are also wired in our DNA and, and we can uh, access them by, well, there are many ways, but the, the main one is by trying to pause our lives and reflect what are we doing and not just following the rules as, as you are saying, no? challenge a lot of those rules challenge a lot of those dogmas and even values that we have when we grow up that probably don't align with us anymore and maybe some of those are the ones that are limiting our growth so how just let me know one example or one thing or one story that you have uh, just run into your career and into your knowledge of this biocognitive area and how this, does this example or story can develop into something that is limiting the person to grow? Hmm. 
I mean, going back to the beginning of my experience as a teacher, um, I, I started to do a lot of work with special education and students mm. with a huge variety of abilities. And I'll never forget um, one of the first para educators that I worked with. So not a teacher, but like a support staff um, who was super amazing at, um, like you said, putting a pause in whatever is going on in the moment and asking questions and talking to students differently where I would see some teachers and paras talking to our students with special needs as if they were babies. Right. So it's not that they're babies or that they're that they are in that developmental phase, um, but the rules around differently abled people mm -hmm. tends to make us think, oh, we should speak a certain way. We should use a certain language. Our body language should be a certain way. So it's a really, really simple example of um, rewriting the rules of how we interact with someone who has a different ability level than us. Um, but has this talent and their own unique genius and their own unique ability to change the world. So in with this paraeducator, seeing in a classroom full of students with a wide variety of ability levels, we started to teach a little bit differently. We started to, to tell them things, give, give fewer um, instructions, ask more questions, and start allowing them to teach class. So we would teach something simple and then ask them to teach the class the next day or, or teach with us. And all of a sudden we had students who were nonverbal teaching alongside of us because we weren't using the normal rules of teaching, right? Mm -hmm. um, and just really, really beautiful examples like that of um, look from a different angle toss out whatever you've been taught, <laughs> get to know this human, get to know this person in front of you um, and, and recognize that. I love how you said some of the values we grew up with, they might not be serving us right now. The rules might not be serving us so we can find the beauty and the benefit of them. Um, but in the moment, if it's not right for us or the people that we're trying to serve, on our own journey, get rid of them. Yeah. And, and that's ultimately become my mission on a broader scale. So instead of one-on-one -on -one with a student in a school setting, now all of a sudden I'm saying to myself, how can I, how can I support this in a company or an organization? What could we do to dismantle and rewrite policy <laughs> and mm -hmm. rules in government organizations like that? So it, it can be applied at your at at the personal level as well as a societal or cultural level that from that angle yeah i i totally agree with that because i also struggle with a lot of these rules to teach and very strict um, limits on how can you teach and if those grades and things and I'm, I, I, I was always more concerned about uh, students learning than the real grade. Of course, that is going to reflect something in the grade, but I was more concerned also of asking questions and asking, what is your body telling you? If yes. you do this or that, because the, the teachings that I gave was very complex, was biochemistry, and you have to explain the metabolic cycles and those things mm -hmm. so in order for them to relate them to their everyday life I, I was wondering just asking questions about how do they feel if they eat too much sugar for example <laughs> how do you feel when you have a little more fasting period or what are you doing with this kind of energy in terms of your body and try to relate that with examples of traffic and things or Yes, so, but as they have been used to this method, it, it's difficult to shift them into a, a different method, right? And just in one subject, no? Yeah. So it is a challenging space now. Mm -hmm. And a really, really interesting part of what you just said with our, the, the whole concept of grading. So whether you're in a school or not, are you measuring 
what you're actually trying to achieve? Or at the end of the day, are you are you measuring and judging your success based on something completely different than than that outcome you initially set for yourself? Right. And the process in which we create that change makes all the difference in the world. You are more focused on the on those things than mm-hmm. really integrating those into your own being, no? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how how can you uh, tell me something about these leadership examples of shifting that paradigm of the rules or the policies or the mm-hmm. concepts that are very square? and trying to make them more flexible in terms of acquiring a a different leadership. Yeah, well, I I think um, in public service, that's where I tend to do most of my work because that's where I come from. So so the whole idea of think about a hospital, just from, from a hospital or clinic standpoint, from point A to point B, when you first walk in to have an appointment, through the experience of being uh, roomed by the nurse and then visited by the physician and then leaving, um, there's a standardized process, right? It doesn't matter what what you're coming in to ask for help with. Um, it doesn't it doesn't matter what language you speak. A lot of times, unfortunately, um, it doesn't matter if you're a single parent with five kids you're trying to support at home. It's just very very tunnel vision, narrowly focused, right? So then we start to look at things like the culture in healthcare of conversations around non-compliance or conversations around population health and, and judging specific populations of people for a health outcome based on assumptions about them. Right. So some of these rewriting the rules has to start from the very top um, where there's a culture change inside of an organization. So a, a CEO, a president, a leader at that level has to start asking different questions instead of how much money, what are the these revenue units we have to make money this month. Right. It's more about what's the experience of our people, not our, pe- our people as employees, but also our people that are coming through. What's their experience instead of a, a manufacturing line, mm. right? What are they, what, what's, what inspiration is coming out of their visit with a doctor? Do they get to tell their story or are they, are they coming in with this pre-assumed <laughs> diagnosis and that's all that they are? And all of that, of course, trickles down. We can change how, how people are introduced and welcomed. We can change how people are offered transportation. Like it doesn't matter, but at the end of the day, all of these changes come back to an impact on the biological self, the cognitive self, the emotional self, right? So we can see it at at this story level outside of us, but then going inside to see what's that doing to our heart? What's that doing to inflammation molecules in the body? Mm. How's that impacting the long-term of other chronic disease? or what's going on in our in our mind while this is happening. It's funny that you mention all of those things because that's the kind of examples that I used also to explain them. I used to give them uh, clinical cases, sort of, where some people arrives, but she works uh, two shifts, she doesn't sleep, she has a lot of stress uh, in her house and, of course, in the work. So I tried to challenge many of these students because they were going to be physicians. They were going to be medical doctors. So I was challenging them. Are you just going to prescribe something or are Mm -hmm. you just going to interview the person and really know more about the lifestyle? And maybe she doesn't even need a pill. She she just needs to sleep more (laughs) to change some of the things that has in her diet and reduce a little bit the the stress so I don't want you to tell me what is wrong in terms of um, the diagnosis I 
want you to look more at, at the person and, mm -hmm. and what is she doing and what is the environment that she's developing. And that, that is those, as you mentioned, biocognitive, no? because it's the biology, but it's the, the learning things that this person has because she's just following a story yes. or she's just following a pattern in the workplace because all of the people do that no? mm -hmm. <laughs> and I used to do also those things when I was in the, in the companies or in the corporate world you have to go to eat in a certain period of time in a very narrow window of time yes and everybody <laughs> went and everybody ate the same or mostly the same and then you go back and then all of those routines are just leading to many of the causes that we have. And, and we don't recognize that all of those things have to change. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think about the, the shift that this pandemic made? Because this allows us to move into a different now uh, scenario for, for the things. I think that the the introspection that it has offered for people, the word pause is so important. And I love that you introduced this, our, our, our episode today with it. Because I think that's a lot of what the pandemic did. It, it slowed the world down to a point where people had to finally face the chaos <laughs> and the, the, the meaninglessness of so much of what's going on because it is a routine or it has become a competition. And, and to, to see who's better than somebody else, just keep doing more, um, get busier and busier. And then any of the personal needs that we do have or the opportunity to discover ourselves suddenly has vanished because we're not creating the pause. So I, I think that um, a lot of people I hear talking about like, what's the new normal or how or how can we get back to the way things used to be and in my head I'm like that makes me feel almost panicked like I don't ever want to go back yeah. I don't want to go back in time there are beautiful things that we can bring forward with us but let's please not reverse time and go back and I know some people are trying to just jump back into that chaotic hamster wheel of sorts yeah. but I think people woke up to the the rush of the way that the world has has become and um i don't think it's necessarily even generational it's just um some people are now demanding that life be more mindful and mm. companies be more mindful and as weird as it sounds the government be more mindful R regardless of where we are in the world it's a theme it's the human experience right so yeah. let's let's try to reduce chaos let's try to slow down let's try to address suffering on as many levels as we can um, and and do it through these stories storytelling and story listening <laughs> instead of these canned one size fits all impositions on people which only makes it worse <laughs> yeah exactly it's just like uh, I think that many things that happen now in this transition that is being in the whole world is going back to bad habits no mm -hmm. because it became a habit to be busy and to have something to do and many people were challenged in this stage because they didn't have too much to do. So they said, so what am, who am I if I am not doing something? Yes. And what am I contributing to, to the world or to my family? Or, and they, well, I think that there are two ways of seeing it. People that were shaken and awakened and people that were shaken and they just produce more stress and more anxiety and they just wanted to go back and they throw their lives again into that busyness and so they didn't change anything yeah. they just find new ways to be busy and to address more of those uh, toxic habits 
instead of allowing to be in the pause, to be in the reflection mode, mm -hmm. because they were more scared of what they were going to see inside. Mm -hmm. no? mm -hmm. Yes. So how, how would you tell these kind of people that want so much and they are anxious to go back to those normal conditions? <laughs> what, what would you suggest them to do instead of going back to those things? Well, with a lot of the people I work with, um, especially in group settings, because in, in group settings, the divide that you just talked about comes up and it becomes very clear. So for the people who are seeking um, next level, the next evolution of themselves and the world, they're ready to do that deep work and they're willing to face that fear <laughs> and, and let it dissolve and be vulnerable and go into it. Um, and for the other people, the conversation usually ends up coming back to functionality and purpose, mm. right? So the conversation begins with production, productivity, success, achievement, and drive, because that's that tends to be what moves them. Um, but then ultimately getting deeper into it, like what's, what's the purpose? What's the why? What's the meaning? Um, and then the function of that production, how is it changing the function of you? So over the long term, right, when we're, when we're just getting into our careers and we want to do that busy stuff and, and go all over the place, that's cool. But um, again, if there isn't that pause, what's starting to happen? And I continue to find more and more people that are transitioning like later on in their careers that have two kind of um, big existential questions they're facing. One is, who am I, as you just said? Because now without my title as this person in a company, I no longer know who I am. And then the second thing is, look what's happened to my body all of a sudden. Why did this happen? When did this happen? And how can I fix it as fast as possible? <laughs> yes. Both, right? Both things that could have been prevented and addressed in high school, college, middle school, young adulthood. Um, yeah. But the teaching that pause was never a thing. Yes, so. I, I also think that um, those uh, big reflections that we should have is, is what is going to challenge your life probably at the beginning because you have never done that. You have mm -hmm. never asked those kind of questions but and probably you are also afraid of of the result because you are always being driven to the result mm -hmm. and and as you mentioned the productivity no the what is it going to happen but just by envisioning the future of yourself that's what can allow more space to to address their lives because probably this is not the first time that probably a pandemic is going to be there's going to be another one or there's going to be two or three or more pauses like this or things like this and how are you going to react to more of these shakes that we are going to have because this is apparently where the world is going to move into a different space where we can see uh, jobs as more than the paying the bills no mm -hmm. yes yeah absolutely and um something that i keep thinking about um with the whole idea of storytelling as you and i are both talking about um going back to the term biocognition so so much of biocognition is considering context so we can think of culture or we can think of context. And I like to think about if, if you're watching a movie or reading a book, what is the detail that's given in that story? And just starting to put yourself into that own, into that own space. So back to your other question, that's what, that's some of the, like the con contemplative or meditative practices that we'll go into is like, start playing that, that movie, that film strip of your life 
um, to see, like you're saying, where does it get shaken up? What do you remember about those moments? Um, as opposed to moments where you feel really tough and strong and big and, and you know, like the hero. <laughs> um, and starting to find the learning in, in all of those different moments. What's the detail that's coming with it? And as you mentioned, what's happening in the body? Because our body is telling us everything as it was designed to. And that's the thing that we aren't listening to most of the time. We feel something and we want to shove it down because it is scary. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, I have an emotion. No, I don't. Not anymore. It's gone. <laughs> and then it wreaks havoc in the body because we didn't address it. And our body is trying to tell us. Yes. And, and we shut it down by taking a pill or... <laughs> eating food or eating yeah exactly or <laughs> grabbing or, our phone yes 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 i mean just getting busy no mm -hmm. one of one of those things are leading to getting busy and and just forgetting about those messages so it's like yeah. not i i think and i believe that many of those messages comes also from the root cause that is not loving yourself enough mm -hmm. because you don't feel that you deserve time for you. Yeah. And many of these uh, clients, as you mentioned, and many of these people that I also have had are just not ready to ask for time. And they feel guilty a lot of times because they have time and they don't have to do anything. So they, they feel so guilty that they look at their phones or search something or someone mm -hmm. to uh, pass the time, you know? And I just, many, many times I have uh, asked some of my friends and some of the clients that I also have, are you able to be with yourself? Or do you, or do you find challenging that time? Mm -hmm. What is your mind telling you? Because many of those stories are scary in their minds and that's where those emotions as you mentioned is like uh stress of those emotions that have been uh, stagnant in their bodies mm -hmm. they start to come up when they have time no yes yeah absolutely and and um also the the transfer of those stories how do we learn them where do we learn them who's yeah. perpetuating them who do we surround ourselves that keep that continue to rewrite that story with us um because the other really really difficult part is saying uh like recognizing i'm not loving myself enough hmm. and the people that i spend time with are making it worse Right. They're not they're validating me in the fact that I shouldn't love myself. <laughs> so aside from not taking care of ourselves, I think that the other really, really tough part is starting to say no to toxic people and vampires in our lives. Because yeah. eventually it's really scary to think that, like, I might be alone for a while in my life or forever. What if I don't ever find people again? <laughs> right. <laughs> Eliminating the bad stuff only creates room for the good, but at the beginning of that journey, again, the stories that we've learned say, if I change, I must be bad. I'm less worthy. Hmm. Who's going to want to be with me? If I don't love myself, who else will? Yes. But it's crazy because we, we're not loving ourselves in that moment anyhow. No. <laughs> or for a lifetime for some people. It's just faking. It's just mm -hmm. faking and trying to fit in and, and trying to, to be in a community that your body is trying to tell you, you can do more, you can be more, you can <laughs> shift from these toxic things, but you don't want to. That, that's, that's the only problem that you don't want to. And, I, and what I try to do with these kind of messages is just don't you think that people that, for example, let's say uh, a person has a meeting at 8 o'clock p.m. and is your client, is important, is going to give you money if you want to see it like that. 
but you have a lifestyle, you have already engaged into this healing process, and you know that 8 p.m. for you is not now the good limit or boundary that you would have. So in spite of he or she being your client, how do you tell this person that 8 p.m. is not feeding you? Are you guilty of that? Are you going to recognize that you now you can say at 7 p.m. or 6 p.m. is my boundary yes. and now I need time for me? Or are you going to go into the old story and allow that client to tell you that um, 8 p.m. is good for you? Because if you don't start with the boundaries, you are going to get in the same road and in the same toxic cycle. And it starts with one, one single person that you are able to say, no, this is my new time. I'm just working up to 6 p.m. And that's it. If you want tomorrow, I have from this time to this time, nothing is so urgent as yeah. it cannot wait for the next day. So that's what we have to get used to and be uncomfortable at the beginning because it is going to be un uncomfortable because you don't do it often. And because you will say, well, now what I what do I do if I said no? No. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's amazing, isn't it? And and to think about again, going back to the way that the, the brain wires or the way the brain wires based on how it's fired. <laughs> how how the path, how those pathways, how those habits per se are created and and the the meaning or again or the context behind each of those behaviors and patterns um, drives such a unique response outwardly as well as within. So yeah. whatever we're feeling inside of us, um, as much as we think we might be hiding it or faking it until we make it, <laughs> yeah. it doesn't work that way. So these facades that are put up to try to make it through those moments um, just shows us that change is different. It's not... Um, it's not about just going through the motions to get something done. And most people know that, but it still happens. We still a lot of times think that we can just do these silly things that'll change us. And then lo and behold, here we go a week later or a month later, it didn't work. It didn't stick. And we can't figure out why, because the holistic comprehensive package of us <laughs> The environment, the people, the thinking, the feeling, it hasn't all changed together. Yeah. So, so we can't do it siloed. <laughs> in that context, how the psychoneuroimmunology works, or uh, in the example that we, that we used. Yeah. So um, think about the, in, in, in biocognition, one of the most important concepts that we discuss is archetypal wounds mm. and their healing antidotes. So think about in the story of your own life, as a child specifically, if you can remember back to childhood clearly, uh, did you experience a lot of shame, like sarcasm, jokes, put downs, things like that? Um, did you experience a lot of betrayal? where people tricked you often um, or undermined you in some way? Or did you experience a lot of abandonment where you were just left on your own to fend for yourself and figure life out? Mm. So in one of those three categories or one of those three archetypes of how our culture wounds us, people teach us those things, right? Mm -hmm. and, then, and then we begin to live out of those. We begin to live and teach other people the same thing. So people do it to us trying to protect us most of the time but sometimes it happens to hurt us to try to teach us a lesson but again it's a teaching method yeah. ultimately so we're, we're teaching through wounds um, to try to control things so we're setting a certain context we're setting a certain culture 
that shapes the way we think about ourselves, shapes the way that we respond to the emotions that surface from those thoughts, and then it determines what's going to happen inside of our bodies. So if we think about something, I'll just use shame as the example, because for yeah. myself, that tends to be huge, right? That, that for, in my life, in my story, shame is huge in my cultural context. Yeah. So we start to look at messages, the self-talk that I learned and how I, how I learned to live by those rules. I didn't know that there were other options, right? Yeah. So things like as a child, children are to be seen and not heard over yeah. and over and over so all of a sudden well my voice must not matter my story doesn't matter nobody <laughs> wants to hear me um and and messages about body body image right your hair is not right or your shape isn't right or you're too tall or you're too short so there we go our, our thinking and our rules about what bodies should be like and specifically in the context of shame the, the research biologically says that in, um, inflammation molecules are released every time we are in shame. So it doesn't matter if someone else is doing it to us or we're doing it to ourselves. It's happening. And <laughs> we go to work, we go to church, we go to a community event. If the cultural context of that group or that collective belief system is more shaming, it happens, it's triggered. The body knows, even if someone's not talking to us, even if we're not aware that our mind is starting to shift into that mode, it's still happening. So the culture impacts the thinking and the stories and all of that tells our body what it should do next to be on alarm, to be protected and to survive, right? So in order to make that shift, um, we heal honor or we heal shame with honor, hmm. right? So we create honoring conditions, honoring contexts to heal abandonment. We bring in commitment and to heal betrayal, we bring in loyalty. And I think the, the most fascinating part about all of this is even if we learn all of this from other people, it's modeled, but in order to change it, it has to start inside of us. We can't do it outwardly first it's never going to work it's never going to sustain so exactly what you're saying about if people aren't ready it's not going to happen um, because I, I find that the ultimate test is people get excited about these concepts and they want to go do it to fix somebody else or something else instead of flipping that mirror to say wow this could really benefit me yeah. I wonder how deep any of these wounds are inside of myself. Um, and I wonder what the benefit or the change, the transformation that could happen just by changing. Very simple. My, my, exactly. Yeah. Simple and not always easy. Yes. So we don't keep going a lot of times. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, and now that you mentioned shame, it's, it's everywhere. I think it's yeah. a concept that is global um i also had an experience with my daughter that uh, one day that i was going out with her she was uh, using a lot of makeup and she's just seven years old and i told her why are you using makeup if you are a child and you are beautiful as without those things no and mm -hmm. uh, uh, because my mom does that and I told her, yes, but your mom doesn't use it too much. And she uses because she also thinks that she looks better with the makeup. No, it's just something that was taught to her. And she sometimes she feels that she's not pretty enough without the makeup. Mm -hmm. So how can you change that story for you because you are beautiful without the makeup with the makeup you don't really look well and it's damaging your body many of those things have a lot of chemicals and they are going to damage your skin and you are going to be wrinkled so just analyze those things 
Yes. And she started asking me questions. And what do kind of chemicals does this uh, makeup has? And I told her, well, I don't know the names exactly, but I know that there are a lot of chemicals that are going to wrinkle your uh, lips and your face, and you are going to look older. Probably now that you are young and you are a child, you don't care about that. But when you grow up, you will care about those things. Mm -hmm. So just treat your body with more um, respect in terms of uh, knowing that you are beautiful without these things. And you don't need to look like your friends or like your mom or like anyone else. You are just unique and you are just beautiful as, as you are. Learn to accept that. So it's just those kind of lessons. If we try to uh, give them to our children and to try to allow them a space to feel valuable as they are, to yes. tell them that they are beautiful, to tell them that they are worthy and that they don't need those external things to, to be praised or to be approved. <laughs> yes <laughs> or to, I don't know to to attract uh, attention mm -hmm. those are the messages that we can start creating a new story for them no mm -hmm. yes and I, I just like the concept of new generations next generations yeah. I I continue to hear so much about, again, shame, right? Shame from older generations to younger generations about they aren't, they don't, they won't do it the way that we did it. They won't engage. They don't think this way. They don't like, I don't understand how they're making their decisions. They have horrible communication, blah, blah, blah. But again, like you're saying, it's all going back to this concept of where, how do I belong do I belong with myself, first of all? And then in what kind of a community? And I think that's another beautiful part of the pause from the pandemic hmm. is that finally people who have been looking for community other than the geographic boundaries and base that they have can hmm. finally get to it so much more easily um, in, in most cases. I know some people can't access it, but for the most part, that's finally a reality for a lot of people. And I think that brings hope, yeah. right? That we can be valued just for being our crazy, weird, unique, authentic self. <laughs> and we don't have to show up as the model of whatever we were taught to become yeah. to have to be approved or, or given permission, permission that you're okay or permission that you fit. <laughs> exactly. Yes, and I love that. And that I think is going to round up all of those uh, messages that we are giving about, about the archetypes that we are used to believing and, and shaking them and breaking them and trying to get into this new, uh, I will use an, a word that probably is strong, but enlightened community and awakened community as, that you mentioned it's also happening to me I'm also finding that community outside from the boundaries that I have here in in my country and that I was reflecting on that just today that I have much more people that I'm connecting with outside than <laughs> let's say inside no me too <laughs> so that 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 is a good thing that that we can share now and that we can really feel accepted as we are no yes absolutely amen 110 percent to that <laughs> yes, yeah because yes. we all we all belong exactly. as you said we all belong here exactly it's just yeah. trying to find your people and that's yes. it <laughs> yes so what is the last message that you want to convey for the people that are going to listen this episode <laughs> i really really encourage people to to go into that pause 
whatever that means for them. I love that you use that same term um, because it can be scary. It can be freaky. Or on the other hand, for some people, it's boring hmm. because to go into the pause and experience nothingness and to experience quiet, some of us have pushed our voices, our inner voices down so deep that when we get into the pause, we can't hear anything and we can't feel anything. So just the constant, uh, the faith, faith in yourself, trust that it is there and that um, just even a moment, right? One moment of mindfulness, one moment of pause, all of those little tiny moments over the course of your lifetime, that's what adds up to the transformation. So you don't have to go live in isolation for the rest of your life to be in pause and to grow and learn. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Samantha. And uh, where can people find you? What is Um, your most uh, available? My, my website is the, the fastest, easiest place, which okay. is my name, samanthalouise.co. Okay, perfect. Yeah. And, and we will put the links below the, the episode. And Beautiful. I hope that people ask questions now. Too. We are open to discussion. We are open to reflect on, on your questions and we are going to check on them if... Uh, you allow yourself to ask those questions thank you and i hope that this episode has resonated with you help us to create this kind of community that we are doing with this podcast and we are trying to give space to all the people that wants to find that community (laughs) thank you and we will listen to each other on our next episode bye Thank you everyone for listening to this episode and integrating with this community to cultivate more awareness and consciousness in your inner health to create a new generation of humans. If you want more tools to grow your inner health with science and spirituality merch, visit www.davidortegab.com. Remember that you can subscribe to become a premium member and receive plenty of benefits in all five areas of your life. Nutrition, metabolism, emotional resilience, consciousness and abundance, 